0: Hello and welcome back to Voices of the Valley Flora and Fauna. This is Ramona. And Soleil Gaylord. And today we have with us our friend and guest to our show, Eric Hines, who has recently moved here with his family from the East Coast. And he is a naturalist extraordinary, really interesting guy. We love to chat with him and share his information, and that's why we've brought him to our radio show. His specialist in the natural world is birds, however. And today, our diary entry for our radio show is going to be um, bird feeding and the fine art of feeding birds in the winter. And on that note, Eric, why do we need to feed birds, or do we need to feed birds?
1: That's a great question. Thanks for having me. Um, and relevant to this conversation today, my background, um, currently I'm a tour guide for a company called Field Guides, an um, international bird tour company. So I take people birdwatching all over the world. But in uh, previous life, I was a manager of a wild bird center, which is a retail store that sells bird seed and bird feeders and field guides and all the material exactly. relevant to backyard bird feeding. So I do have a background in this um a lot of experience professionally so Uh, but to answer your question birds have evolved for thousands of years long before humans ever thought to feed them so they don't need us to feed them they just really appreciate it Um, and with that i think it's really important to note that it's our responsibility to not to do no harm so when we're providing food for birds we're obviously enjoying their presence and seeing them up close but we also make make sure that our we're feeding them in a safe manner
0: that's an interesting um proposition because I just wanted to go back about last year we uh, fed our birds particularly the rosy finches around 500 pounds of bird seed we got those big bags at um, Walmart those 40 pound bags that are around 20 bucks and we just kept feeding and feeding those birds and so I know you have some points about that but we'll get back to that and um, Soleil what were you gonna ask Eric um, I was wondering what time of the day or particularly the year is the best time to feed birds.
1: It's a great question. Um, when it comes to feeding seed and other things that bears might like, obviously bears are, can be an issue here in Telluride. So we don't want to make that more of an issue than it already is with garbage. Um, birds, uh, bears are omnivores; they'll eat almost anything. So birdseed is certainly something they enjoy. Um, So in general, a good rule of thumb here in Colorado, uh, most bears are going to be in what they have, uh, their form of hibernation um, by about Thanksgiving. So if you wait till Thanksgiving, that's a pretty good rule of thumb. December 1st, most bears should be down for the winter. And they're probably not gonna come up again until April. So you've got that window in the wintertime to feed birds and not have to worry about bears.
0: And what about just, like, what time of day? When when during the day? I, we load our feeders up at the night before because we know they're hungry in the morning. But, again, is there any rule of thumb to that or anything? Not no, you just put anything?
1: it out there, and they'll come shopping when they want to. They'll come shopping. You, know, you open up the, you know, just keep the feeders full if you can afford to. Uh, with these rosy ventures, these massive flocks that come in and just vacuum up seed, uh, they can go through quite a bit of seed, as you've experienced. Yes. Uh, so um, you want to make sure, you know, you can have them feed, but there's no appropriate time necessarily to do it sometimes i walk out on my deck and fill my feeders while the birds are right there and the rosy finches just stick around
0: and come and land on your shoulder and your hat and leave some surprises sometimes okay and um i know that we fill our feeders with the black oil sunflower seed but we've had some dialogue about that can you tell us about the other mixes that are available and what you would recommend
1: sure what to feed the birds absolutely um different birds eat different things a good uh, way to un- tell what birds eat is looking at their beak or bill. Um, a conical, strong, triangular bill, like, say, on a finch, is for cracking open seeds. Uh, a bird like a warbler or something has a very thin, pointy bill for eating insects, and so they're not going to come to your feeders. So primarily what you're drawing to your feeders are birds that eat seeds, and so um, whether you're at a grocery store or a hardware store here in town or something in Montrose, they all are going to provide a, quite a diversity of seeds. The things that you want to um, choose, though, the sort of filet mignon, if you will, of bird seed for birds is the hulled sunflower, sunflower chips. So it's sunflower that the, the shell has been taken off. And that's expensive because you have to process taking the shells off, but it's ideally because everything can eat it. Any seed eater, whether it's a finch or a sparrow or a corvid, like a jay or something like that, they all can eat the hulled sunflower. Another great one though is the black oil sunflower, which still has the shell on it.
0: That's what we've been giving him. But I think yeah, I that's a little bit less over.
1: expensive, um, not as expensive, and it stores longer because it's still in the shell, so it has a longer shelf life. Um, and a lot of birds like that, but some of the smaller finches have a hard time cracking, cracking those shells, shells over them. So it doesn't provide seed for everyone. So there's not one particular one that feeds everybody, but hold sunflower, it might be the best. Um, there are lots of mixes. A lot of places sell mixed like the seed. The
0: millet and such and the other yeah, the exactly. corn.
1: What you want to look for, things that birds do like, are sunflower seeds. So whether it's hold or black oil or striped sunflower, that's good. Um, peanuts, hold peanuts are very, you know, a lot of birds like nuthatches enjoy that. Um, another one is white prozo millet. And those are the three seeds that you can regularly get that birds very much enjoy and attract a large variety of birds. A lot of the more inexpensive mixes have what, is referred to in the industry as filler. They have cheap seeds have that, that add weight to the bag that the birds aren't interested in. And they end
0: up on your ground.
1: Exactly, and they make kind of a mess. And so those are usually Milo, which is not particularly popular uh, with so birds. watch out for the Milo. Milo okay. and red millet is not as popular. So the white prozo millet, um, sunflower seeds, and peanuts. are the three things that will cover all the birds.
0: Universally love them. Yep. And another question about that. Um, what about our little nut hatches and the peanut butter? We like to spread peanut butter on the trunks of our tree. Is that okay?
1: Absolutely. Um, suet is another thing. Our suet mix is a great way to attract things like woodpeckers and nut hatches. And so you can go just to the, you know, the meat department at a grocery store and get pure beef suet. It's probably the least expensive. You can buy it, chunk it up, and put it in a little cage or basket. And the woodpeckers and nuthatches will enjoy that. Um, you can also buy the pre-made packets of suet. Or you can make your own. Um, some people do it with, you know, lard or beef suet rendered. Warm it up a little bit so it softens. And you can add cornmeal to that and peanut butter, oats, um, bird seed. And you make your own little mold. Some people make a big batch of it and freeze it. And then set it out in chunks at a time.
0: You can uh, smear it on the trunk or put sure, it in a pine cone. Sure, you can a smear it on the trunk. Absolutely. My mom used to put it in the little... Um, bags that grapes come in and just hang it from the tree and she still does that actually at 90 and the birds still come to those little net bags.
1: Absolutely. yeah. Things like feeders and stuff like that, most of those are just aesthetically pleasing for us. Um, As long as the birds can get to the food they don't care what it's in.
0: Yeah, they can smell it. And back to the... um, black oil, sunflower seeds versus the hold. um, I remember you telling me about, I know that at the end of the year, at the end of the winter season, my yard has about eight to 12 inches of seed mess from all those pounds of seed. And there's also another concern about just that mess on the ground of disease, correct? Sure. So.
1: Yeah, birds are gonna come and take advantage of an easy food source. So it costs a lot of energy to forage and fly around the forest. So a feeding station is very attractive to them. With that, you have a concentration that's not natural. You oftentimes have way more birds at a feeding station than you would never have in the wild in one particular spot. And so disease transmission um, through fecal material from bird waste droppings can be a problem. So if you have a seed like hulled sunflower where everything is consumed, it minimizes what's left for them to pick through to end up potentially passing disease. Um, so that's something important. I also want to touch on, obviously it's not hummingbird time of year, but when the hummingbirds do come back, I wanted to mention that what's the closest to mimic um, nectar in a flower for hummingbirds is a 4 to 1 ratio. Just regular tap water is fine. I've had 3
0: to 1, but it's 4 to 1. 4 to 1, yeah. Yes. 4 to
1: 1 is, is what you want to have. So 4 parts water to 1 part sugar. And you want just plain white granulated table sugar, not you know brown sugar or anything like that. Uh, you don't have to have fancy. So just the regular table sugar, 4 to 1 ratio. And the key is no food coloring. So we can sometimes see places sell mixes of quote-unquote hummingbird food. And it's basically just the same thing. It's sugar, water, with red food coloring in it. And that actually is toxic to the hummingbirds. So you don't want to do that. Birds focus, the hummingbirds focus on the blossoms, the artificial blossoms on the hummingbird feeder. They see that as the food source. They don't look at the color inside. And so as long as the feeder has red on which is a color they really are drawn to, um, that's key. You don't have to have any dye in the, in the water. Plus then you can't tell if it's turning. If it gets really hot, that sugar water spoils pretty quick and it mm, starts to cloud. So as long as it stays clear, then you've got fresh water.
0: So this is Eric Hines with us today. And for all you bird feeders and lovers out there, Eric is just telling us not to put the red dye in your hummingbird feeders. I realize that the hummingbirds are long gone, but they will be back and not too long and don't put that red dye out there. And we have more questions for Eric. Um, So is there a perfect location to place feeders um, near your house?
1: That's a great question. Um, placement is critical, both for the safety of the birds and for your enjoyment. So obviously, you want to place it somewhere where you can see it and enjoy it. Uh, but you want to, don't want to put the birds in undue harm, harm's way. The two biggest killers of birds in North America are cats and windows, um, both of which are non-native. You know, They're not normal causes of mortality. And literally, billions of birds die from windows, and cats. So keeping your cats indoors is a great way to protect your cat, also to protect the birds. Um, But then also, so with that in mind, um, you don't want to place your feeder somewhere where it's really easy for a predator like a cat to approach without being detected. So don't stick your feeder right in a bush, or right next to a bush, because then a cat, cats just follow their instincts. It's not the cat's fault. But they'll sit in that bush and they'll wait for the bird to come in, and then you're giving them an undue advantage. And so you want to have the feeder out somewhere in the open, so the the bird coming to the feeder can then see a predator approaching, whether it's a hawk or a cat or anything else. So you want to have, but you want to have cover nearby, so near a bush, near a tree where it can go hide, but not in the bush necessarily, so that they're not right next to a place where a predator can approach without being detected. Um, another good rule for that has to do with cats. The other one is the windows. Your glass windows reflect the habitat on your in your yard, and so if the bird sees the reflection of that habitat, they might fly towards the window uh, thinking they're seeing a tree. And so, you know, windows can be fatal with window strikes. So the 3 and 30 rule, which you mentioned last week, is a good one to keep in mind. If it's closer than 3 feet to a window, sometimes they make feeders that you actually can attach to your windows.
0: I've seen those. Yeah, they're fun because they're they're right right next next to them, which is really great.
1: And that allows the bird, if it all of a sudden is startled and flushes and flies off, there's not enough time for it to build up momentum to have a fatal collision with the glass if it's really close if it's more than 30 feet away roughly 30 feet you know that's not a hard fast rule but um, they have enough time to recognize this isn't where i want to be and veer off it's those times when it's 10 or 15 feet away from the glass it that can be real traumatic because a hawk or something else startles them and they fly and they can smash in the glass and cause injury so the three and thirty rule and then you want to be you want to have some habitat some cover some shelter nearby but not right next to the feeder so that cats can't approach without um, being detected so that's the that's the where
0: very good thank you eric on that and um lastly kind of in our foray of what's going on here with feeding birds in the winter is who do we have at our feeders locally Uh, um in town uh, we live in town and we have some local birds that we're aware of but i think the birds you have out um in Eider Creek area are a little bit different maybe some of your uh, birds and Soleil, what are the common ones at our feeder? Um, We usually have chickadees. We'll see an occasional woodpecker, an occasional Stellar's Jay. We have a few juncos but those are the main ones. Okay and be a little bit uh, more specific what kind of chickadees are those? Black capped and mountain. And then what varieties of junco do we have, Eric?
1: So we have one species. Juncos are sort of interesting. They're in the sparrow family. There's one species, the dark-eyed junco, which has many subspecies that all look quite a bit different from each other. I've seen four different subspecies of dark-eyed junco coming to my feeders here. And I live in Hillside. And so... Just one species, but lots of subspecies to look at. Um, the chickadees, the two that we have in town are the black capped and the mountain. And I think a mountain has fierce chickadees because they've got a white stripe above their eye, yeah, a white supercilium. gives them a very fierce look. Um, the two woodpeckers you're most likely to see coming to your yard are downy and hairy. Yeah. Good way to tell those apart. Um, think of downy diminutive, hairy, huge. There's only a slight difference in size between them, but the downy is the smaller, the hairy is the larger. And if you don't have them side by side to compare them to, the best way to identify them is to compare them to themselves. And what I mean by that is, look at the length of the bill as it relates to the width of the head. A downy has a short little pick of a bill that's less than half the width of the head. A hairy has a larger, more substantial bill that's more than half the width of the head. So that's a good way to look at the bill size as it relates to the head. And then the outermost tail feathers on the woodpeckers are white.
0: Uh-huh. On a
1: downy, it has little spots. On the hairy, they're clean white. So sometimes it's a little hard to see, but that's another good way to tell them apart. So you've got the chickadees and the woodpeckers, the downy and the hairy, um, white-breasted nuthatch and red-breasted yeah. nuthatch. Those names are pretty self-explanatory. Uh, juncos are the only real sparrow you might see on the ground around here. And then the, the jays, the corvids. So you've got stellar's jays and then black-billed magpies will certainly come to your feeders as well.
0: I call those the gangsters. The gangsters? Yeah. yeah. The corvids, the naughty boys. They're
1: very, very um, intelligent. Yes. <laughs> and clever. And uh, and so actually, it's fun to watch the stellar's jays in my yard. Another big group we haven't talked about yet are the finches.
0: And the, oh, of course. We've got to yep. get to so the rosy that, finches. Yeah. So
1: American goldfinch certainly come by. Um, the large flocks we can see in the wintertime are the rosy finches that come down from high elevation above the tree line. They breed above treeline tree line in the Rockies, and they descend into the valley floor here in the wintertime. And those birds we um, will see massive flocks of, and they're primarily brown-capped rosy finch. There are two other species that sometimes mix in, the gray-crowned and the black. And the Stellar's jays in my yard, they like to fly in, and if there's a big flock of rosy finches, okay. they'll mimic a hawk. The oh, the of,
0: Stellar's do that. Yeah, way. stellar
1: jays will mimic hawks, And so it does a red-tailed hawk cry, or it just does a really harsh alarm call, and it flushes all the rosy finches away, and then it swoops in and takes its fill.
0: Like you say, those corvids are smart guys.
1: They are indeed.
0: So, are there any other uh, little furry people we should be, not furry, but feathered people, we should be looking for at our feeders?
1: Well, attracting birds that eat seeds, you also attract things that eat the birds. Um, So you might keep your eye out for a bird-eating hawk like an excipitor. Um, so there's the three species in North America: the sharp-shinned hawk, the Cooper's hawk, and the northern goshawk. Um, those are all uh, this time of year. I'd be surprised if we have many in town. It Likely would be a Cooper's hawk, possibly the rare, more rare northern goshawk. But they'll certainly take advantage of birds that come to your feeder. So we've you might had see the them. Coop,
0: Mr. Cooper come by, and he, once he knows that where the rosies are, he sits in the big spruce and waits patiently. And we've seen him swoop and get a couple. Yeah rosies in the past few years but um that's been our show thank you very much eric for everything it it truly is for the birds but really more more for us and we hope you all have a happy happy and a merry merry it is the season and thank you koto and this is voices of the valley flora and fauna thank you